33 of Luke chapter 5. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. New wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says the old is good. Why didn't the disciples of Jesus have any particular days of fasting that they had picked out? Why didn't they have a more serious prayer life? All the other Jews had those things. The Pharisees and their disciples had those things. Even John the Baptist. Remember, there's a distinct break between John the Baptist, the end, the climax of the Old Covenant era, and Jesus. Even though it's John the Baptist and he's the God-ordained forerunner of the Messiah, there's a massive break. Right? The law came through Moses and John was a part of that. Grace and truth came through Christ. His disciples... They fast often. They pray. Why not your disciples, Jesus? Do they not take their faith in God seriously enough? Do they not take repentance seriously enough? Now, we don't know for sure who they is here in verse 33 that asks the question, but I think we're on solid ground to say that these are the Pharisees and scribes that were grumbling back in verse 30, already running their mouths because Jesus was eating and drinking specifically with tax collectors and sinners, like Levi, that he had just called to himself, or Matthew. And speaking of then of eating and drinking, Jesus, and this party you seem to be enamored with, why don't your disciples fast? Why don't they spend more time in prayer? You've been asked that in your life. right? Why don't you fast more? Why aren't you praying more? Why aren't you doing more? Right? You've been asked that. There was one required fast for Israel in Old Testament times, from Leviticus 16 and 23, but by the New Testament period, the Pharisees, remember that the Pharisees, the synagogues, was not instructed by God. They did this on their own. There was a nationalistic bent to it. They wanted to preserve their religion as Israelites, and they were worried that they were not going to have God speak to them again. They were not going to merit the blessings of the covenant. And so they took it into their own hands and said, we need somebody to manage this religion and get people back to God and get people on board. And so as a means to that end, they, the Pharisees were usually fasting. In addition to that commanded fast, they fasted every Monday and they fasted every Thursday. Why won't we recognize that that's what our own rules and regulations are? when we create additions and additional requirements that God did not require, no matter what word games you play, right? Why won't we realize that we're doing what the Pharisees and the scribes did, not what Jesus did? Our rules and regulations, they are pharisaical. They are not honoring to God. They don't please Him. He didn't ask for them. He didn't command them. 
That's what Pharisees do, not what sons and daughters of God do. We make these exact same arguments, right? We always fancy ourselves when we read the, the, the Bible as the opposite of the Pharisees. Thank God I'm not a Pharisee. Thank God I'm nothing like that. But we sound like they do. We sound just like they do. Don't you care enough about God? Shouldn't you take God and your faith more seriously? Shouldn't you do things like fast more? Well, we don't really ask that because we don't like to deny ourselves food. So fasting usually doesn't really get brought in, but it's, it's there sometimes if you're really serious. But why don't we do things like that more? Why don't you pray more? Why aren't you doing more for God, right? We ask that of other people. And we put ourselves under that burden as well. I need to be doing more for God. I need to be doing more for God. That's what the Pharisees did. They saw in the Bible the requirement for a day of fasting. And they said, well, but we really want to be close to God. We really want to honor God. We really want to be serious about our faith. And so they added more days. Because that's what you would do if you really cared about doing things for God. You'd have an even more dedicated prayer life than what was required. After all, it's God, right? Shouldn't you be willing to go the extra mile? And so this is how they would argue. And that's how they've gotten to be the way that they were. Not that God's law was bad. Their own evil hearts, believing that they could please a holy God, had corrupted the commandment that was righteous and holy and good and made it into something man could actually accomplish if he tries hard enough. And, and we, we think that we're honoring God when we do that, but we're belittling the power of His law. Now, we need to notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't condemn fasting. And He doesn't say fasting or prayer, for that matter, have no place in the life of the Christian. Of course they do. So, what is His argument here? Let's read it again. And truly listen to Jesus. Verse 34, Can you make wedding guests fast? while the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Jesus says, there's a wedding going on right now. Why would we be fasting? Could you imagine? Wedding feasts are joyful. So there's no fasting during weddings. Could, could you imagine going to a birthday party for a three-year-old? Okay? And just as the kids are jumping and screaming for cake and ice cream and open the presents, the parents come out and say, okay, kids, here's your cauliflower and sugar-free, salt-free, taste-free, vegan dip. And instead of games, instead of games, after we eat, we're all going to go floss. Yay! Right? It's not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but you don't do that at parties. Fasting isn't appropriate if you're at a wedding. It's a celebration. But what else is Jesus saying here? Why this metaphor? The bridegroom of Israel is in your midst, is what Jesus is saying. But in the Old Testament prophets Hosea and Ezekiel, the bridegroom of Israel was God Himself. So what is Jesus saying? That God Himself is now among His people. And He's there in the person of Jesus. They don't even realize what's going on. They're so uptight. They are trying so hard to please God with their lives that they're clinging to their works righteousness instead of just joining in the dance that God is with them and has brought forgiveness and mercy and the gospel to them. 
this table fellowship Jesus is having with tax collectors and sinners means that a new era of salvation has arrived on the earth. This is the holy God dining with tax collectors and sinners. Something is happening. And it's a reason to be happy and joyful. Not to do things like, well, we need to make sure we, we, we do our fasts. Don't enjoy it too much that God is willing to sit down and eat with you. Don't just enjoy the meal. Luke is the only gospel writer, by the way, that tells us earlier that Levi left everything in verse 27 and followed him. He's a very rich man by cultural standards. And he left everything. And of course he did. Jesus had called to him. Jesus invited him to the wedding. You don't hoard your money or hang on to that when Jesus invites you to something. You go. Why are there all these scenes in the Gospels specifically of the Pharisees and scribes painted as outside the family of Jesus because they are so uptight and frantic about their own righteousness that they won't just sit down and join in the feast? Why do we see so many specific examples of that? Them mad that he's eating and drinking with sinners and they won't join in. I wonder... Jesus says that it will be a more appropriate time for fasting when the bridegroom is taken away from them in verse 35. Away from those at the party. Symbolizing how they will take him away to crucifixion. Over those three days and nights between his crucifixion and his resurrection, that would be the appropriate time to fast. And Jesus, by the way, transforms fasting here for us for what it's worth. Fasting, he says, would be something more appropriate for those who long for the presence of Jesus to be eating and drinking with them. Not something those who are frantic to dot all their I's and cross all their T's would do so they can check off their list. I also need to fast. No, fasting now is saying, I want you to return more than I want to eat. Right? Fasting affects the mood, apparently. It's for mourning and seriousness because Christ is not with us. And that is out of place when Jesus is among them, he says. That's strange. Those types of requirements are out of place if Jesus is in our midst. But then Jesus argues from principle. Now, he takes that and he says, let me make a principle out of this. In verses 36 to 38, look there again. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. There are some things that simply cannot be mixed. New patches and old clothes. New wine, dried up wineskins. Jesus argues with a truism here because that's true across all time in all situations. You cannot mix old and new or you will ruin both. In all of life, if you tear a patch of cloth from a new garment and use it to patch up an old one, you've not only ruined the new garment, 
the new piece is not going to match the faded color of the old garment either. So you don't want to wear that either. What you've done is doubly worthless. In the same way, new wine that is fermenting, if you put it in an old wineskin, it'll burst it, it'll blow it open, which will cause you not only to lose that new wine, but now you've lost the wineskin. New and old cannot be mixed, and if you try, you will ruin both. What precisely is Jesus arguing for here? And why? Jesus is bringing an entirely new thing into the world. The way of salvation is a completely new way of life, a completely new way of relating to God that is done now because of grace and forgiveness, because of forgiveness and alien righteousness. Jesus' righteousness credited to me. God making us righteous by the righteousness of another. That's a new way of doing things that will not mix with the old way of doing things. A new righteousness that He is going to supply so that everyone is pardoned, everyone is free, no one has to worry or be frantic and neurotic about their own acceptance before God ever again. We do not preach with a heavy hand about what you lack. It's not the old way anymore. I will try again. (laughs) Jesus has paid the whole bill. So now, what does service to God look like? Where does it come from? Why do I do good works now in this new way, this new era? Well, it's not to prove anything. It's not to get anything. It's because everything's been done. And that changes everything about what I do and why I do it. And if it doesn't, that's on me. I'm trying to mix and bring something old into the new, and I'm going to destroy them both. Jesus has paid the whole bill, so now we love and serve others as free people. Not under a yoke of bondage, who if we slip up, we get cut out of the covenant. That's not the motivation anymore. What is fitting when this is the way of relating to God is a spirit of joy and happiness and thanksgiving, like what you would experience at a wedding feast. Not a spirit of worry and concern or despair like you would experience at a funeral, right? Trying to squeeze Jesus and what He did for us into an old mold of dotting the I's and crossing the T's and work and adding even more rules so that you don't break the ones that are already there to prove just how dedicated and serious you are about your faith. That's not only disrespectful and ignorant of the essence of the old way, because by the works of the law, no one will be made righteous. What are you trying to do? Exactly what are you trying to accomplish? What do you think you're going to be able to pull off? Who are you trying to impress? God has Jesus. What do you think He's going to find amazing about what you're doing? It not only is disrespectful and ignorant of the essence of the old way and the purpose of the old way, it is poisoning the essence of the new way. Right? 
Jesus has not upped the ante of being a child of God. He doesn't give with one hand and take away with the other. Now that you have me, you better do more. You better get to work. You better prove it. You better earn it. His way is not built to exist alongside our contributions of righteousness. Jesus brought the new age. He brought a revolution into the whole world. And it is disastrous to mix the tedious traditions of law with the new age of the kingdom. The tedious traditions of man-made Judaism with the new age of the kingdom. Beloved, we shouldn't talk about our faith and our walk with God as though we're a new version of Old Testament Israelites. It's a contradiction in terms. The New Testament corroborates all this, and of course it does. Jesus is teaching us the Word here. Remember, nobody until Jesus knew how to properly interpret Scripture. That's all He's doing. Listen to the writer of Hebrews in chapter 8, verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them, the people that tried so hard to keep it. When he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And what did Jesus say he was doing on the night of the first Lord's Supper? This cup is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. It's not like that. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't operate like that. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, with His people. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now listen to this. This is the word of the Lord. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Get it together. Do your part. Why not? Why not like the old way? For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For, how will that happen? How will that be accomplished? I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. What changes? God no longer holds your sin against you because it has been forgiven. It is finished. Stop living like it's not. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. Right? And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. They're right on the edge of 70 AD here when the temple and that whole old system is literally destroyed and vanishes away from the earth and let it stay away from the earth. For by it, no one will be forgiven and no one will be made righteous. You can offer nine million sacrifices a day 
at the temple. It will do nothing for you. And our works now work exactly the same way. They bring glory and honor to God. They serve our neighbor. They do nothing to aid in our salvation or in our righteousness. God has done that by choosing to no longer count our sins against us because of the merit of the blood of Christ. Will we hear and submit to the word of God? We've made a whole enterprise out of saying, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. Make sure, make sure, make sure, make sure. Do, 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 do. Not enough, not enough, not enough, not enough. Did Jesus die or not? We're all frantic about making sure everyone is doing their part and paying their share. And Jesus says under the new covenant, there's no need for that. The work that makes you a bona fide child of God, fully pure, fully righteous, is completed. So that is no longer the motivation for good works. The forgiveness is free. The righteousness is all provided. We do not serve God in the same kind of covenant Old Testament Israel served God. We don't even relate to Him in the same way. Right? It's not like we aren't allowed all the way in because we're not pure enough. No. And that by our works we might get a little more worthy to get close to God and call on His name and all these things. Where do we get the confidence to pray? Right? Where does that come from? Where do we get the confidence to come in here and sing songs and worship God as though we're not sinners? Why doesn't the lightning come through the ceiling while I'm preaching and strike me dead and smoke me? Why? That's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. Why does it not happen? Is God not as holy as He was before? Is He not as serious as He was before? Is He no longer a consuming fire? Is it no longer a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Of course it is. All that. What's different now? Is, is it that I'm progressively getting better? Progressively recognizing His priority? Or is it that Jesus has done something so astounding, so complete, so sufficient, so powerful, so perfect, that now God relates to me as though we're at a wedding feast and not the workhouse. Our sins are forgiven. We aren't working to make up for anything. We aren't waiting for anything else to happen for all our sin and our guilt to be taken away. We need to accomplish nothing else in order to be righteous and holy before God. If, if we think of our righteousness as contributing something to that, that's where the, the rub is going to be. If we're still using if-thens in the new covenant, something is strange. That, that, that's a mixture that, that won't work. Jesus and the covenant He mediates are doing everything we need for us right now and will do forever. He will be our high priest forever. Priests mediate. He will always be that for me. When we try to relate to God and improve our relationship with Him by doing more and working more and straightening this chair so that we don't make that chair crooked and so on, we're mixing two ways of religion that can't be mixed or you'll ruin both of them. 
This should be good news. This should be very good news. One way is new and eternal, and God has made the other one completely obsolete. Why are we putting it back in operation? Relating to God through what you do, even after you are saved, is an old way of religion that God has made obsolete. Why do we want it to be the old way? Because that's who we are in this flesh, even though in our spirits we've been made new. We live in these old bodies where the old Adam still wants his say. Right? It's, it's the old Adam. It's our flesh trying to tell us the terms of the relationship with God are like they were before. And so we better try hard and do our part to make Him happy with us. That is not the Spirit of God doing that. According to Romans 7, 6, we now serve in the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. Looking at a list and saying, I have to do that for God is the old way of the written code. And if you say, well now though, if you bring the written code, no, they don't mix. These are two diametrically opposed ways of serving God. Rules because you're trying to be righteous and as the means of showing your righteousness versus freedom because you are righteous. Listen again as Jesus literally tells us, right, literally tells us, this is not your preacher talking in verse 39, it's your Savior that this is true about us. And no one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says, the old is good. No one, no one wants Jesus' new wine. No one. Why not? It's the old is just better. The old is good. I like the old way. I like the old days. I like the old things. I like the old time this, the old time that. Yep. That's the Adam. That's the old Adam. There he is. That's what he sounds like. That's what he sounds like. Right here on the pages of Scripture, Jesus tells us, you prefer the old way. That's why I'm a prophet. We've taken away the offense of Christ. The enemy has been very sinister here. Because he's made us think the only way you can take away the offense of Christ is by not calling sin, sin that you need to repent of. And that's horrible and unbiblical. If God has called it sin, it's sin, period. Right. So, yes, you can take away the offense of the cross and our need for repentance by trying to say that's not sin or you don't need to repent. Sure, absolutely. But the more sinister issue in the church, because we don't really struggle with that here, that particular issue, we don't really struggle with not being able to call sin, sin. We remove the offense of the cross by making it seem as though God can be placated if I just serve Him hard enough. Right? Now, we don't say it like that. Nobody does say it like that. So you get, you, we need discerning minds because nobody talks like that. If that was said out loud, everybody would call it out as false. Rightfully so. 
But we don't say it like that. The enemy doesn't work like that. If, if he comes to you yelling, hey, I'm a false prophet, it, it wouldn't work. That's not what he does. He takes the word and he twists it, beloved. He's always done that. That's always his M.O. Right here on the pages of Scripture, Jesus is telling us, you do not want new wine. You think the old is good. And what is new and old here? The way of Jesus and the way of the Pharisees and the scribes. Salvation and the law. The law of Moses, the grace and truth of Jesus. That's the old and new here. We prefer the old way. I don't, I don't want this new stuff. The old is good. Now, Jesus' approach here is very ironic. Because when you think about real life, nobody prefers new wine over old wine. Right? In the world. Right? You don't, a year old wine to wine folks is not as great or expensive as a 100 or a 40 or a 30 or a 15 year old wine. Old wine is always better than new wine. And Jesus is hopping right on it. Yeah, that's what you think. It's what it seems like. That's precisely what makes wine so good when it's aged. We're, we're bent that way. No one desires new over old when it comes to wine. And that's exactly the point Jesus is making about the new way of salvation. It goes against every natural instinct and convention in us to think that this new thing is better than the old way. Wouldn't it be much better to relate to God if there were some guideposts and goalposts and boundaries to keep people from messing up? That's all the old covenant was. You want to take those away when people are sinful? Jesus, why are you eating and drinking with... Do you have any idea the potential for gluttony and drunkenness here? What are you doing? Jesus is bringing something so otherworldly into this world that we honestly don't think it's good. We prefer the old way. We prefer the way of trying to get God to approve of us by our obedience and our effort. And so we're always looking for the next thing we can do for God rather than resting in what Jesus has done for us and serving God by faith rather than works. Pleasing Him by just resting in what His Son has done for us as sufficient and trusting that what that does to our hearts, being free, being joyful, what that does to our hearts, believing that will make us into people that love and serve our neighbors like Jesus did, so selflessly will actually fulfill the law which we can't do by mixing law and grace, only by giving each their proper place in our life. No, we resisted that. It can't be that way. It can't be. Why do we think that? Because we've tasted the old way and we think it's better. What's this new stuff? See, that's true in every part of life. We like the old way. We like the way we've always done it. We like the way it used to be. The new is not only not as good, it's suspect. It's bad. You can't trust it. It's offensive to us. Have you ever seen the way people react, for example, when their favorite team changes colors for a game or something? 
right? Nike's found a way to make tons of money with this. We'll have a color rush Sunday. We'll wear different colored uniforms. And man, you get close to like diehard fans. What's this stuff? This new uniform. That's dumb. Right? What's wrong with the old ones? Right? Give me my scarlet and gray. Give me my maize and blue. Give me my black and yellow. Whatever it is. Right? You can have the scarlet and gray. I don't want it. But anyway, right? That, that's everything. Um, my dad, bless his heart. If, if my daughters show up at Thanksgiving, which we didn't get to see him this year, but with ripped jeans, listen to anybody over 40 talk about ripped jeans. Back in my day, you would have been considered a little a little slummy if you're wearing ripped jeans. Did you buy them like that? My dad says that every time he sees butter. Yo, you can buy those without the rips in them. Right? The old is better. The old is better. We know it. It's comfortable. It's safe. We like it. Makes us feel good. Brings up happy memories. Right? The old is better. We feel much more safe when our salvation is in our own hands. So give me a written code. Add to those rules. Then I know I'm okay. Then I know I'm taking it seriously. There's a rule to fast. Let's add some days. We're not supposed to work on the Sabbath as Old Covenant Israelites. Let's make sure I don't even get up too much. Right? We're supposed to be pure. Let's wash before this and let's wash before that. And let's wash before this. And I know God didn't command it, but we take His law really seriously. No, you don't. You have lost on the law when you think, I can do that. You can't do what God requires. At the very least, you can't do what the heart God requires. That was the problem. They can obey their... You say, when you can't, what do you mean you can't obey the law? I can obey tons of laws. Not the way God wrote them for you to obey. The old is better. What's wrong with the old uniform? Jesus says we're like that on steroids when it comes to our religion. We're like that, the old is better, on steroids when it comes to religion and how we serve the Lord. Right? Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Aren't you also going to tell us what to do? Well, Paul will tell us commands, but the essence of commands don't change. Right? You can't do what you're commanded to do. The difference is now you don't have to think, well, then I'm not in. Yes, you're in. Now when a believer realizes they cannot do what Christ has called us to do, we still change. Again, that's why we make all those other rules because we can't follow the real ones. I can't love like Jesus is calling me to love. I can't hate my family like Jesus calls me to do. I can't forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven me. I can't forgive like that. So I'll make my assurance with God a matter of these things that I can do that appear very holy and very pious. 
because I take it so seriously. If it hasn't broken you to the point where you're running to Christ for mercy, you haven't taken it seriously enough. That's two entirely different religions. Says Jesus. And if we mix them, both will be so tainted in us, they'll accomplish nothing. Our whole Christian life will become so self-centered and self-focused, we will never love our neighbor as ourselves, and we aren't loving God above all other things. There's people out there dying. Preachers always say, it's always true. There's people near us, right next door to us, on their way to condemnation, and we're sitting inside like, can I have this or not? What do I, I really take the Lord seriously, so I'm going to stay in here, never go to my neighbor, and try to figure out, can I watch this TV show or not? What, 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 what do I do? It's all you. It's all you. It's all you. Nobody's saying, don't be discerning in what you watch. Beloved, be discerning in what you watch. But, but like, don't think that's the essence of your Christianity. Anybody can do that sort of thing. Anybody can have those kinds of arguments. Is this good for me or bad for me? Should I do this or not? Jesus says the whole world is under the sway of the draw of the law. The old is good. That's what we want. Yes, give me rules. I mean, society changes vocabulary on us. Now there are words you can't say anymore. Now there are, there are things you can't do anymore. There are, there, there are jokes you can't tell anymore. There are, you know, the rules are, the goalposts are always moving. That's the old way. And we love it. Give me goalposts. Believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And your preacher is not it. Him, I should say. The Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you to do exactly what He wants you to do. That's why He calls our good works the fruit of the Spirit. Right? How, how much do our rules that we make look like the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. The, the list of good works that we require to prove that you're serious about God, how much do they look like the fruit of the Spirit? And how much do they look like you're following the old way of a written code? See, in the new way, faith is enough to please God, but here's the problem between preachers and our congregations and Christians and each other. You can't control anybody with that. I can't mark you out as bad or good based on what you're doing if we truly do it the way of Jesus. And so all that measuring that we're doing of each other to make sure I'm okay and you're not and so you need to get better, that all goes out the window. So we, the old is good. Let's keep it the old way. Let's keep it the old way. Jesus is enough to catch you when you get too far. Don't go too far, but you will. You will. Let's, can we just be honest? We fear the new way. We hate the new way. We despise it. It's gross to us. God help us. Because there's a feast, and we're over here adding up how much it's going to cost. You keep giving out that bread. I mean, you keep giving out the prime rib. My goodness, man. This is going to be so expensive. Yeah. God has very deep pockets. Very deep. Jesus didn't come just to start a revolution, beloved. 
He finished it. Like it or not, your salvation is totally free. It's totally paid for. The new wine of Jesus is for fresh wineskins. What kind of wineskin are we? What kind of wineskin are we? Are we just so frantic and neurotic that we're bursting at the seams? Or do we just hold really good wine so that all who encounter us may taste what we have tasted? Is the perfection and sufficiency and power of Jesus just bubbling all over in our lives? And we're resisting it so much that it's only a matter of time before this wineskin bursts and we become just another 21st century Pharisee. Frantic and afraid and controlling and self-righteous and generally unpleasant. Well, where are we? Are we at a wedding or not? Is the bridegroom among us or not? Stop trying to mix the old way of following God under the law where the issue of our identity in the covenant was always in doubt every day. You had to keep offering sacrifices. You don't have to do that anymore. That's not what our good works are. Our contribution, our sacrifices. The book of Hebrews says we offer the sacrifice of a life fully grounded in Christ, of thanksgiving and joy. We're living sacrifices. you ever thought about that? We take that as I got to really, you're dead and you're alive. You're all good. You're all good. Don't mix that old way of doubt with the new way of knowing it's finished and Christ has done it all and His grace is enough to cover us and His righteousness is enough to make us acceptable to God already. What about good? The Spirit in you will guide you so that you do works that are pleasing to God. Right? I've, 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 I had an elder once back in Raleigh. I'm almost done here, by the way. Came in. He was upset. Why won't you tell me how to love my wife? I need you to tell me how to love my wife better. I get the grace. I get the Jesus. How do I apply it? How do I love my wife? This man was 15 years older than me. Married for twice the time I've been married. What am I going to tell him about how to love his wife? Here's what I told him. Okay. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. Do it. Go. Do it. That's all I have to tell you about how you should love your wife. That's all I have from the Bible to tell you. A command that by your own presence here, you're admitting you aren't keeping. So if you want me to get up in the pulpit and scream at you about not loving your wife well enough, I can. Is that going to make you love your wife more? No. That's not what commandments do. That's the old way. The old way was, I realize I'm not doing it, so I have to bring these sacrifices. I have to do these things. Make sure I do these rituals and I'm clean enough and pure enough ceremonially. And what's different now? Is anything different now? 
We've just changed the way we do our sacrifices. Is that's all that's different? We don't literally go in and bring an animal anymore, but we bring our wounded pride. And we bring our, our, I desire to do this. That's not good enough. Jesus didn't say, therefore you shall try to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. No, you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Do it. And when you realize you can't come to me, that's what I'm here for. It is not, for example, that it doesn't matter, husbands, how we love our wives. Oh, it matters eternally how we love our wife. Here's the issue. Can you do that? And if you say, Tony, we have the Holy Spirit now. He helps us. Then let him help you love your wife, right? And stop complaining about it. Do it then. What's the holdup? Do you see? Do you see? You think I'm mad at you? I'm not mad at you when I yell like this. We're at a wedding. We're at a wedding. I feel the weight of the commandment. I love my wife as Christ loves the church. What does every husband say? Lord, I love her, but I mean, like you love the church? Die for her? Even when she's wrong and I'm not? Because that's how he loved us. So do it. You want me to tell you what to do? Do it. The next time you guys argue and it's her fault, you fall on the sword for her. If, 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 she, if, if she goes and does something wrong, you get punished for it. She gets put in jail, you go to jail for it. Do it. Do it. Because if you want the old way of the written code, if you want to serve God as though those commands to us now are a written code that we have to follow or we're no good, then do it. And stop playing these games about how serious you are about God if you won't do what He told you to do. After all, you have the Holy Spirit now, right? So you, you apparently you have the little kick in the bucket that you need, so go do it. Or maybe, maybe, the commandments still work like commandments. The only difference is we don't relate to God like that anymore. So we go on our knees, husbands, if we want to love our wives right, go on your knee every day. God, help me, I cannot love her like you called me to love her. And beloved, watch your marriage change. I can give you a book. Here's ten steps. On, I can give you the five love languages. Yeah, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Yeah. Do we? Right? I mean, I mean, my, my love language is receiving gifts. Well, I'll be darned. I like to receive. I know that you love me when you give me stuff. Well, there you go. Did a five-year-old write that? Beloved, we're at a wedding. We're at a wedding. The bridegroom is here. You don't have to run around scared. Go to the buffet as much as you want. Dance as much as you want. Enjoy the people there at the wedding. The next time you hear, but you shall be holy as I am holy, as a challenge, hear it as a statement of fact about you that's true because Christ has come. When God said you shall be holy, that's a promise. And you are. Now live like it. Live free.
live like you're at a wedding. Be doers of the word and not hearers only of this text. Of this text. The bridegroom is here. The feast has begun. If you want to honor Jesus, have faith in Him and enjoy the party because He is enough for you. Jesus is enough for you. The revolution is over. And the Savior won it.